got a change today. I got to tell you, I went for a walk yesterday early and it was hot as my Lord, it was hot. But I went before the sun really got blazing. It was early and I, you know, took a fairly long walk. That's what I do. And uh, over the years, I've, I, I've done prayer walks. So I walk and pray at the same time. And that's what I did yesterday. And while I was praying, while I was walking, the Lord spoke to me and told me that he wanted me to um, change my message. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, okay, good. So I changed my message today. It's uh, right along the same lines. We're talking about preparing yourself for Jesus' return, and this is part five, and so when I change my message, now you got to hear this. There's lots of notes online. I, you can go to victorychurchraleigh.com. Notes are right there, but today, now I'm not doing all this, but there are 21 pages there because there are a lot, there's an additional things. I'll just preach first couple, verse few, but the rest of it is a lot of uh, background information because of the subject that I'm going to get into today, and it's there for your reading and studying pleasure. And then let me also say this, I feel in my heart like Wednesday night I'm going to do a conversations with pastors, so I'm just going to open it up for any questions you may have because my subject today uh, may foment questions from you, and I like to answer your questions, so feel free to come Wednesday night. You can email your questions at infovictorychurchraleigh.com or just bring them with you and uh, we'll just have kind of an open mic time and talk and share. Does that sound all right? Because of the nature of my subject, I want people to understand what's happening today. And I've been talking for the past four weeks. This is week five, five, four times, this fifth time. How many know Jesus is coming back? Most of the world has no clue what's coming in the future. In fact, I guess I could go this far and say most believers have no idea really what's going to be coming up. They've got a general broad view, but not a clear perspective of what's coming on planet Earth. Friends, things are changing rapidly. Have you noticed? And Jesus said he is coming back. Now, his disciples asked him what the world would look like when he was coming back, and he responded in Matthew 24. It's also, I've said this many times, recorded in Mark 13 and Luke 21. And, uh, you know, he was, um, he was just talking to his disciples about what things would look like. But uh, Jesus did some amazing things. He actually appeared to John, uh, the apostle John, on the Isle of Patmos in John's late years just before he went to be with Jesus. And John wrote that down in the book of Revelation. And the word revelation, the Greek word is the word apocalypsis, which means an unveiling. And Jesus uh, unveiled to the apostle John what's going to be happening when he comes back. And it's, uh, to me, a little bit crazy and uncanny that we really could be the generation that sees Jesus come back. Are you excited about that? That does mean a lot of change is going to be occurring. So the changes that we've noticed the past several years, there are just going to be a lot more changes that will probably 
uh, dumbfound and confuse and amaze a lot of people. But you just got to know there's rhyme and reason to what's going on. How many hear what I'm saying? So let me get right on into this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. I found this years ago in J.B. Phillips' translation of the New Testament. He, uh, he translated the New Testament actually the year I was born, 1958, and I have loved that translation. But this verse particularly uh, uh, stuck out at me. I was studying end time things 30 years ago, and this thing stuck out at me, and it's been with me ever since. For God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan, and it is this. He purposed uh, in purposes in his sovereign will that all human history shall be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven or earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is the sum total of all things. He is, he is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the sum total of everything you need in your life. And without him, how many know you can't even see heaven, right? So uh, let me talk a little bit and, and give some background. We're going to, go, going to go to Revelation 1 and then Revelation chapter 5. Before I go there, I just want to give you an idea of kind of what's going on right now. How many know God always honors his word? God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers 23, 19, we just prayed it in prayer earlier. Nor a son of man that he should repent. If he said, he'll do it. If he's, if he's spoken it, he will bring it to pass. God's word doesn't fall to the ground. We use words sometimes indiscriminately, but when God says something, he does every single, single thing he says. How many know that? And see, that's a challenge for us in the 21st century because there's so many liars around. Have you noticed? That is, they say what you want to hear, but it's not really truth. And they never intend to bring to pass what they say. But when you go to God and you read the Bible, one thing you've got to know about the Lord, if he says something, he's absolutely going to do it. And my 40, almost 47 years of walking with the Lord, I've never seen one, 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 uh, one word of scripture failed to be fulfilled in my life if I will do what he said. He is absolutely faithful. In fact, Jesus said, uh, uh, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. Where we're living today and what's going on, God is actually fulfilling uh, several thousand years of words that he has spoken through his prophets. And we could be the generation that sees the culmination and the finish product of the words that God has been speaking to his people both Old and New Testament how many know God is a covenant God in fact uh, the covenant name for God is the word Jehovah and that word Yahweh is a derivative of, of that word so God makes covenants and when God makes covenants how many know he always fills them fulfills them Genesis chapter 12 real quickly here real quick uh, recap and I've got notes on all of this I actually uh taught the book of Revelation verse by verse from 2019 to 2021. There's 38 lessons, over 30 hours of teaching there. And so you can go back and find the details of this if you just look online because all of this has been detailed and the notes are there. But God, for instance, cut a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. How many remember that? And said, Abraham, I'm changing your name from Abram 
uh, exalted father to Abraham, father of a multitude. And you're going to have more kids than stars you can see in the sky and sand you can see on the seashore and on, and on the nations of the world. I'm going to bless you, uh, bless the world. And, and in you, they're going to be blessed. So Abraham is the father of faith. He's the first person to ever be, uh, believe God. And how many know God is fulfilling his word to Abraham today? So that Abrahamic covenant, covenant is still in he also promised Abraham, and this is amazing. God promised Abraham that there would be a parcel of land that his children would live on. So the children of Israel, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So Abraham's offspring are the Israelites, and he promised them a parcel of land uh, several places in the book of Genesis 14, 15, 16. I think it renewed it in chapter 17. But God promised them a specific parcel of land that would be an eternal possession for the Jewish race, the Israelites. And in my studies, I found, uh, oh my goodness, over 24, 25 scripture, maybe as many as 30 scripture that promised that before Jesus comes back, the Israelites would come back to the land that God promised their forefather Abraham, and they would be living on that land. And an uncanny thing happened. If you're young, you don't realize the amazing thing that happened. But uh, back in the turn of the century, right around World War One, the Israelites began to uh, come from all over the world. They were scattered. There was no nation of Israel for a couple of thousand years. This has never happened in history. The nation of Israel formed again on the land God promised Abraham. Abraham. Way back, beginning at the turn of the century, we, they went back into a desert land. It was a deserted place. And uh, Mark Twain, in his writings, even said, no one will want to live in this barren, barren place. They began to go back, and by 1948, Israel was a nation again. And now Israel is a force to be reckoned with in the Middle East. What does that tell us? Jesus is coming back. Is that exciting? See, there's a, there are signposts in the earth. So uh, there's the Abrahamic covenant. There's the Palestinian covenant. Then God promised David, the uh, King David, even though he messed up he missed God he sinned God forgave him and God said to David uh, one of your offspring will be on the throne of Israel in perpetuity in eternity and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ he is the root of David the bright and morning star aren't you glad and then there is the new covenant now the new covenant is a covenant that God God uh, uh, added us into in fact the old covenant was for the Jewish race but the new covenant for anybody that will call on the Lord Jesus. God said he would, he would change your stony heart into a fleshly heart and you would know God personally. You don't have to go through a priest or any other intermediary. Jesus Christ himself will be your Lord and Savior. And it's the new covenant. God promised to change your heart, change your life, and place you into his great big family so you can live with him in eternity. Is that exciting? Now, let me change gears a minute and say in Daniel chapter 9, I'm coming to my focal point in a minute, but in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel had been praying for, um, and he was an aged man when you get to Daniel chapter 9. David had been praying for a long time. The Israelites had, had missed God so badly they had worshipped idols, and their idolatry literally cost them being expelled from their nation for 70 years. And, uh, and they were in Babylonian exile for 70 years. And da Daniel um, was praying about all of that. That. And while he was praying, God spoke to Daniel and God showed Daniel 
490 years of Israel's existence. I don't have time to go into detail. It's all online. Um, uh, one day I may write a book about it, but nonetheless, you just got to know this, that when God shows somebody something, he always brings it to pass. Here's the reason I said that from Daniel chapter 9. 483 years of the 490 years that God saw Jan uh, showed Daniel have already happened. And they, they actually happened all the way up till the time that Jesus came, died, and was raised from the dead. And that clock that showed that 490 years just kind of quit. And, and there's a gap. There's a big gap between uh, then and now of an undetermined period of time. We call that the church age. We're living in the age of grace and have been since Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the reason we have churches. That's the reason we have pastors. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists. We have the, the ministry offices. That's the reason we have churches. Uh, church buildings came in vogue way after the first century, but nonetheless, church meetings and pastors have been invoked. This entire expanse of the church age, which started immediately after Jesus was raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit day, fell on the day of Pentecost and the church was raised up and you go read the book of Acts and you see the beginning of the church, right? So, so here we are, but there's seven years of time that God told Daniel about, you know, Lord, 2,500 years ago that have not come to pass. And here's what you got to know about God. God is very specific with time. You can count on the sun coming up in the morning. You can count on the moon rising at night with all its various phases. You can count. You can count on nature being what it is because God is ultimately faithful. Aren't you glad? And because of that, if he showed something to the prophet Daniel 2,500 years ago and it hadn't yet come to pass, it will come to pass. So there are seven years uh, we call it Jewish time or time that God spoke to Daniel about, about the Jewish race, that they're, they're going to be fulfilled. And uh, those seven years, people typically call that the tribulation period. You've heard that time, uh, that, uh, that term being used. And that's a seven-year period just prior to Jesus returning where some really crazy things are going to be happening. So where I'm going here in Revelation 1 is going to be that seven-year time period that God showed Daniel. And during all of this, God will be fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, the uh, Davidic covenant with David, and the new covenant, and Jesus is coming back. Are you excited about that? Now, um, we have talked in the, in the weeks past that this is a time of judgment when Jesus comes back and God, Jesus will be judging his enemies and we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But we also talked about the fact that it's going to be a time of miracles, that God will not forsake his people during this crazy, crazy time just before Jesus comes back. If he did miracles for his old covenant people, for his new covenant people in the New Testament, how many do he know he can still do miracles for us today? He's provided for his old covenant people. God will provide for us just before Jesus comes back. We did a whole Sunday on that. And then we did a Sunday on talking about getting your heart close to the Lord. If you ever wanted to walk with God and do his will, now is the time. If you ever wanted to let Jesus clean your life up, now is the time to do it. Now is the time to get your foot out of the world, get your foot into God, and walk with God and do his will. Yes or no? So we talked about really having some heart-searching times with the Lord, and we had a Sunday where we actually 
came down, opened our heart. I can't continue, uh, encourage you to continue to do that. I pray a good bit on my own throughout the day. I actually get up every day and I pour my heart out in the mornings to the Lord. And I tell him the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, the aggravating, and the things that are great. And I just talk to him about me. And I want you to talk to him about you because if you do, you'll find that you'll, you'll find him if you search for him in a heartfelt way. Yes or no? Then we talked last Sunday about the importance of the Word of God. There is one invariable uh, in all of the earth, and it is God's Word. God's Word never changes. Jesus again said, heaven and earth will pass away or change. My words will not pass away. They will never change. He'll do exactly what he said. How many know it's absolutely true? In fact, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 55, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It won't return void, but will accomplish what I please and prosper where I sent it. So if God said it, it's going to come to pass. And for me, for almost 47 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. I made a decision because I found out that God's word is the only invariable in life. If I would do what the scripture said, I will have what the scriptures promised me. And you'll find find the same thing in your life. So we have a standardless culture right now, a standardless world. Anything goes. You don't know up from down, left from right, but you can find it right between the leather pages of this book we call the Bible. How many hear me? So we talked about that last Sunday. Today, I want to talk to you about something that happened to John on the Isle of Patmos. John was the very last of the 12 apostles that died. And uh, John lived to, I guess, almost 100 A.D. Um, and uh, he lived many decades after Jesus died and was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. But during uh, John's life, Domitian was one, of the, um, was one of the Roman rulers. And he was a very mean, cruel ruler. Uh, in Rome, and he persecuted believers mercilessly. His uh, reign was from like 81 A.D. to 96 A.D., and that's the time that he got a hold of uh, uh, John. It is said of, it's postulated about the uh, apostle John that he actually uh, oversaw the churches that Jesus, Jesus mentioned. He was like the apostle that oversaw these churches in, the, in Asia Minor that are mentioned by Jesus in Revelation chapters 2 and three it's like they were on a circuit they were like uh, there was like a path between all those ch churches in modern day turkey and uh nonetheless um <clears throat> nonetheless uh, uh john because of his faith in god was uh, banished uh tried to kill him uh, uh church history says uh that they actually tried to kill John in several ways. One way was they put him in, a, I don't know how they did this, a vat of boiling oil. And, and what uh, church history says, he so exuded the love of God, it didn't kill him. So they pulled him out. And then Domitian banished him to the Isle of Patmos, which is in the, the Aegean Sea, not very far from, uh, from the coast of Turkey. And so uh, that's where he, he spent the remainder of his life. And uh, so while he was there, Jesus appeared to him, and Jesus, uh, Jesus appeared to him in an astounding way. Now, I got to say, so, can I just talk? So, so Jesus appears to John. Here's what I don't know if you thought about it like this. John was called by Jesus to be one of his apostles and walked with him for three and a half years, right? So, for instance, in the Last Supper and, you know, uh, uh, the, the painting of the Last Supper, you got, you got John resting his head on Jesus' shoulder of the scripture, King James calls it his breast, just laying his head right here. That was the Apostle John. Uh, the Apostle John, John knew Jesus very well. 
he, he, he knew him after the flesh, but then also spiritually, obviously. But see, he was a friend, an apostle uh, called by Jesus when Jesus had his ministry on earth. So he saw Jesus in a different way, and he saw peop- Jesus, the, the tenderness with which he ministered to people, when he healed people, when he taught, um, uh, when he raised people from the dead, when he cast out devils, and when he just loved people. Jesus was a lover. And John saw that. And John became the apostle of love. And so even in 1 John, John said this, that which we have seen and we have heard, we declare to you. So he was talking about personal experience with the Lord Jesus. He was with him. Then when Jesus died, was raised from the dead and got out of that grave, appeared to his disciples for 40 days. Guess who was among the people that Jesus talked to? John, John the apostle. And so how, how many know that John was there in the ascension of Jesus when, when Jesus was there on the mount and he says, I'm, I'm going away. And, uh, and, and where I'm going, you can go. And Jesus in Acts chapter one ascended to heaven while the, while the apostles watched him John saw him go into heaven, so I'm making a point. He saw him in his, his earthly state in a human body and then after the resurrection in a glorified body. But, but, but in John, in Revelation 1, for the first time, John saw his Savior, the Lord Jesus, in his glorified state. He had never seen that. Don't forget Philippians 2 says that Jesus laid aside the power of the office of the Son of God when he came. He was the Son of God in a human body, but the power of that office he laid aside. His omniscience, his omnipotence, his all-power, his all-knowing, he laid all that aside and lived like me and you. And that's good news for us. But when John saw him on the other side, and when Jesus appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos, it shocked his socks. You hear me? He, never, he had never seen him this way. And Jesus was not the little baby that grew up. He was a lion. And he was ready to roar. And so that brings me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit, John said, on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, and that's modern-day Turkey, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And those churches really, uh, they, they, there's a lot to say there. I actually ought to do some teaching on Sunday morning. I did on Wednesday nights when I taught the book of Revelation. But everything that, were, that the uh, churches in Revelation that Jesus mentioned in Revelations 2 and 3, everything that they dealt with, we deal with today. Did you know that? There's a lot to say. Go back and read that some. You'll find it interesting reading. And, and then it says, Then I turned to see the voice, John says, that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His hair, uh, head and hair were white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Now, this is not the this is not this is the same Jesus, but a different manifestation than when he saw him on earth. Right? Wow! It freaked him out. You got to know it did. And there's a lot of symbology, sim, uh, uh, symbolic stuff here, and I don't have time to cover all of that, even though my heart wants to. Verse 14: His head and hair were like wool, 
white as snow, eyes flames of fire. Fifteen, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sh- and this is symbolic. There's a lot of metaphors here. Uh, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun. Wow, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. See, he knew, he, he, John knew him, but he had never seen him in his glorified state. I am uh, he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place after this. So John got his pen and paper out and he began to he began to write down what he saw. And what I want you to realize and I want to say about this is this. Uh, you may hear and see and read and listen to a lot of things about what people are saying about end time events. And, you know, the Internet's good and bad. There's a lot of information on there, but some of it's rubbish. Right? And some of it's uh, true, but got a little bit of twisted stuff in it, and it can confuse you. But you know what I found out for me? If I just stick with the book, if I'll stick with the Bible, God will always do exactly what he said. So what God has done and what Jesus did with John gave him a bird's eye view of what's going to be happening. The particulars of how that plays out, that's where we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And he witnesses to our heart this or witnesses to our heart that, that it's the fulfillment of what God has already foretold and promised. How many understand? And that just takes God's wisdom. Most of the time, you just need to sit back and let her happen. There's not a lot you're going to do to change what God said is going to happen. How many hear what I'm saying? So we're going into a time period. You're not going to pray it away. You're not going to fast it away. It's just going to happen. End times is going to, they're going to happen, and we're going to be the people of God in the, in the middle of it, and God's going to use us to bless people. And I've got several things I want to say. The first thing I want to say about this is that you got to understand Jesus is the same Jesus that walked with John and the rest of the apostles uh, while he lived on the earth for three and a half years, right? He has not changed. I am the Lord. I do not change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Question, did Jesus care for his disciples? Does he care for the church today? Is he taking care of us in the church age today? So there's a, there's a manifestation of Jesus as a lamb but the, and we all have experienced that in the new birth because he was the lamb of sacrifice that took our sins. But Jesus is coming in a different manifestation. He still loves us the same, but his manifestation is amazing. And it's a bit scary. He comes as a lion. Now, you know, that may mean nothing to you because we live in America. We don't have lions roaming around the countryside. But y'all, I've been to Africa. And you know what? You get a lion coming up near you, it scares the bejeebies out of you. I was in an open truck with about five other people, and here comes, and I was in the, I was, uh, in the Serengeti plain there and, uh, in Africa and, uh, and in a safari, and here comes, uh, here comes the king of the jungle coming right by my truck. And, you know, you got the one with the big mane. Is that, that's, the, that's the male. Then the females, you know, she doesn't have all that big hair around her neck, but uh, that dude come walking, and, you know, he was very sure-footed. And he knew what he wanted. And if he wanted us, I reckon he could have got us. 
That's just the way he was. But you know, the animals are afraid of them. They see a pride of lions and they run because the lion's king of the jungle. So when the Bible talks about a lion, it's talking about a ferocious animal that can do you damage and a ferocious animal that rules and reigns in his, in his sphere of influence. So, see, we don't think about that as Americans. We just say, a lion, great lion's in the zoo. No, this is different than the lion in the zoo. You get that? Jesus comes back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But listen, he still cares for you. What you got to know about Jesus coming in this crazy manifestation where he judges the enemies, he still cares for you for you he still answers prayer he'll still make a way from you when all hell breaks loose uh, in judgment just before we go to be with jesus how many hear what i just said so revelation 2 and 3 uh, jesus talks to uh, john about the state of the church and talks about the good points and the bad points and then revelation chapter 4 uh, John heard a voice saying, come up here. And he actually went before the throne of God. Perhaps he went into a trance. We really don't know, but it was a vision nonetheless. It was very real. And he actually went into heaven. And I'm not going to quote. It's in the uh, notes, but I don't have time to read it. But in Revelation 4, he sees the throne of God. God is sitting on a great big throne. And there are a rainbow of colors around him. God has a rainbow around his throne. And it has nothing to do with wokeism. It has to do with his holiness, purity, and promises. Yes or no? And then there are all kinds of angels around his throne crying, holy, holy, holy. And it's a pristine place. And there's, a, there's just a great big uh, courtyard in front that looks like a sea of glass. It's gold, beautiful. And John saw all of that. But here's what he saw in Revelation 4. He saw God Almighty seated on his throne as the creator, originator, creator, and sustainer of all things. And that's what Revelation 4 typifies. There's God and everybody's crying out, holy, holy is the Lord, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things and by your will they exist and are created. Revelation 4, Jesus says, my Father owns everything. He is Lord of all. Isn't that great? And then Revelation chapter 5, and this is why I said all of that. In Revelation chapter 5, um, uh, John looked a little closer, and it says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Stop right there and listen to me a minute. Uh, this is a codex book. Codex book means you got pages. They didn't have these prior to the first part of the second century A.D. Uh, codex books actually took over scrolls about 600 A.D. So books are cool, right? You like books? They didn't have books in John's day. So. And so what he saw in God's hand was a scroll. Now this scroll, let me talk about scrolls a minute. Scrolls uh, were often uh, uh, written on, or made of papyrus which grows, uh, you know, just right beside some of the rivers there in Egypt, and the Egyptians are really good at making paper out of papyrus. Most of them are, but some of the scrolls were made out of antelope skin, and, and, and you could join it together, and it could make a really, 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 really long document. 
Um, most of them were up to about eight, 18 inches wide, and then you could unscrew. Most of them were short, but a few of them were long if it was a really important document. So I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And uh, so let me talk about the scroll a minute. A scroll was an instrument used in the, in the first century, and, you know, it was a document, and if it was sealed, it could only be unsealed by a person that, that had the authority to unroll it and then bring to pass what's written inside of it. This scroll happened to be written on the inside and the outside, meaning it was a really important document, and those that you know, um, uh, do uh, research and such, tell us that there's just a, 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 a there, most scrolls in the first century had one seal and it was sealed with clay or wax. And then uh, a guy that sealed it would have like a little signet ring and put the signet in it saying the scroll came from him. And it was ra it wrapped around the scroll, the, the, um, the string wrapped around the scroll, the twine wrapped around the scroll and was tied up and you put the uh, wax or the clay on it. And so it could only be opened by the person uh, to which it was sent. And because that's the person that needed it and that's the person that can open it up and carry out the context. So there were military scrolls, there were scrolls that, um, that had to do with land ownership and lots of other things like that, business type things. And that's the reason scrolls were sealed. Most scrolls had maybe one, maybe two. Sometimes you'll find uh, in history a, a scroll that has maybe three really rare, one that has five, but this one had seven seals. The number of seals indicates the importance of the scroll. So I want you to look at it again. It's sealed with seven seals. That scroll can't be opened up until the seals are removed. You get that? The contents can't come to pass until the seals are broken and it's unrolled, and it can only be uh, uh, unrolled and, and the seals broken by a person that can bring to pass all that's inside the scroll. Does that make sense? So look at this again. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Verse 2, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Now, let me insert right here. I want to I submit to you that what is the scroll in God's right hand? That scroll, because he is the creator, owner, and sustainer of all things. When there's a scroll in his right hand, that scroll's God's title deed to planet earth. God owns this place. Did you hear? He owns it. He created it. And when God put Adam and Eve here, he gave them a measure of his all, of, all authority to watch over this planet and take care of it. But a usurper came, a stealer came, a thief came. And, and when Adam and Eve sinned against God, that authority that God had given them to take care of the earth under his command was given to God's arch enemy, Satan, whom they obeyed. 
And he became the God of this age, the God of this world, the prince of this world. So for thousands of years, the control of the pleasant, uh, present planet has been under Satan's tutelage along with a hierarchy of, of fallen angels, demon spirits, and malevolent humans who absolutely are bent on obeying the devil, disobeying God, and doing what they good and well want to do. And so that scroll in God's right hand is a document that says, I own the earth. God says, I own the earth. I'm coming back to repossess what is my own and to kick out the bad characters and do what needs to be done with them so this earth can be brought back to the way it was when I first created it. Does that make sense to everybody? I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. And so in verse 4 says, I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. If the scroll can't be opened, then there's no millennial reign of Christ. If the scroll can't be opened, there's no new heavens and new earth. These things are talked about in the Old Testament by the prophets. If the scroll can't be opened, then, uh, then God's arch enemy Satan can't be judged. If the scroll can't be opened, then the curse can't be removed from the earth. If the scroll can't be opened, then, then God can't straighten this thing up and so John wept. You get it? Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll. And again, to be worthy to open the scroll means you got to be able to bring to pass what you read in the scroll. And nobody could. Nobody, nobody in all the universe. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, Judah's, uh, 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 Judah's um, uh, mascot was a lion. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus is the offspring of King David. David is in his lineage. And that's what he's bringing out. He's fulfilling covenants when he comes. One of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in, in the midst of the elders, again, he's in heaven having this vision, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Perhaps blood was still staining its wool. It wasn't a wimpy lamb. It was the lamb of sacrifice. It's the lamb that was made your sin and mine, your sickness and mine, the one that helped us overcome our enemy and walk with God. The lamb stood. Notice what it says. I looked and there stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns. Seven is in the Bible is the number of perfection. Horns has to do with authority. This lamb had ultimate authority over all things. Colossians 1 says, By him, by Jesus, were all things created, both in heaven and on earth. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things are created by him and for him, and by him all things consist. And the strong microscopes that we have today have found that the substance linolin that actually holds the cells of your body together is in the shape of a cross. All things are held together by him. So here's this lamb. This is why I'm so excited about Jesus coming back. He has seven horns, which means ultimate, complete authority over 
all things. And then it says he has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. All of the manifestations of the Godhead are in the Lord Jesus. All of his wisdom, all of his understanding, all of his all-knowing, all of his power is in the Lord Jesus. That's what that's saying. And it says here, um, verse 7, then he came and took the scroll out of the uh, uh, hand of him who sat on the throne. So here's Jesus. And he's, he grabs the scroll out of God's right hand, which is God's title deed to the planet. says, I got this. Whoa. That means... Who's going to break the seals? Jesus is. Who's going to bring to pass the contents? Jesus is. And he's your savior. And he's your lover. And he is your all in all. So I just want you to get the idea when end times break out on us, God hasn't forsaken his church. You're his. He's the head. You're the body of Christ. He's not coming to forsake you or make life miserable for you. He's, he's coming to whip your enemy. You hear me? Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 8, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and these guys were strange. They had eyes all around their head. They were just boogery looking guys. And the 24 elders fell down before the lamb having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Listen, Every time you pray, God keeps your prayers. Did you hear me? Fast forward a little bit, Revelation 8. Uh, there's silence in heaven for 30 minutes because the trumpet's about to blow the last one and the judgment of God's about to fall on earth. I'm getting ahead of myself a little, but, but it says the prayers of the saints waft up to God out of an incense burner. So every time you pray, God never forgets your prayers. In fact, there are two scriptures that says when you pray and weep, God grabs your tears in a bottle. Is that good? See, I just think about all that when I read this. Which are full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You know, I pray in my praying personally every day what Jesus prayed in Matthew 6, which could be the model prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I've said that over 47 years, thousands of times. I've heard other people pray it thousands of times. Jesus probably pray, prayed it while he was on earth a whole lot, right? So, so again, the, that comes up before God. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. The prayers of the saints, verse 9. And they sang a new song. All these people around the throne of God sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll, open its seals. For you were slain, have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. God hadn't left you alone. He's right there with you. And you're with him doing his work. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb to receive riches and power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard saying, blessing, you singing that song, blessing and honor and glory and power 
be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever. That's amazing. Uh, back up just a minute, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, 25, 2700 years prior, or really 700 years prior to John being there, perhaps, uh, saw the same thing. Watch Ezekiel 2 9. When I looked, uh, there was a hand stretched out to me. Behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then it's, he spread it before me, and there were writings on the inside and on the outside. See the same scroll. He saw what John saw. Ezekiel did many hundreds of years prior and written on it were lamentations mourning and woe now that scroll in God's right hand is God's title deed to come back dispossess the devil of his uh, of the authority that he got from Adam and Eve when they said they actually committed high treason against God you understand God gave them an authority and they colluded with the enemy and gave the authority that God had given them away so so they were treasoners they were treasonous and they gave the, they, they, they gave the house away, y'all. They gave the planet away. You get it? And God's coming to get it back. And inside the scroll, so, so who's going to break the seven seals? What's his name? Because he has the power to bring to pass what happens with each seal, right? And, and, then, and then what happens after the seals are, are opened, all seven? Then the scroll is unrolled. And what you see in the scroll on God's right hand is the rest of the book of Revelation, starting with Revelation chapter 8. And there are trumpet judgments. I mean, and something happens. And something else happens. Verse 7, the last trumpet blows, and then these other judgments, seven of them come. And they're talked about in Revelation 16. So all of these judgments are coming to cleanse the earth of the catastrophe of sin, to put Satan in his place. There's a false prophet. Uh, there actually is a, a man called Antichrist, the Bible calls him in the book of First John, who's going to be a world ruler. Let me say it again, the Bible won't call him that. But there's going to rise an entourage of people who want a global government and literally want to rule this planet. But see, who is their daddy? Satan is their daddy. And they actually have a scheme to do it. And I've talked about this and probably will in the future. They have plans and schemes for all of the nations to come under a global government with the similar laws, similar financial uh, means, and uh, similar religions and all that. Friends, it just isn't going to work. So see, when I read the news and I read these things, and I mentioned last uh, Sunday, Project 2030, uh, where they actually want to make all this happen and everybody, all the nations of the world to combine together. It just won't work. Oh, it'll work seemingly for a little bit of time, but then Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be hell on wheels. Did you hear what I said? We are going to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years on this planet right here. That's what you got to know. So, so, so here we are in Revelation 5 and uh, all this happens. And, uh, and Jesus is the one that breaks the seals. And then Revelation chapter 6, the seals start to be broken. Who breaks the seals? Jesus breaks all six seals in Revelation 6. So when he breaks the first seal, the Antichrist is revealed, false Christs. 
And, you know, again, he's going to want to rule the world and make it a utopian place. His plans will fail. The second seal is broken. And according, I don't have time to read the verbiage. Read it yourself. In Revelation 6, uh, uh, war breaks out. And how many know we're extremely close to World War III? Uh, that is Russia versus the West. Did you know that? The news media is saying nothing about it. I wonder why. Whose side are their own anyway? Anyway, another thought. The third seal is broken by Jesus, and there's a black horse and, and a rider referring to famine. And, uh, you know, there are things being put in place now to reduce the food supply of the entire world. I don't even have time to talk about it. So it looks like all the things for these seals to be broken are lining up really uncannily. You hear me? And who's breaking the seals? Jesus is allowing these things to happen when he breaks the seal, right? Fourth seal is broken. There's a pale horse, means disease and death comes upon the earth. And often that's the results of war. Wars, World War I, World War II, the majority of the people in those wars didn't die from a bullet wound or a bomb. They died because they couldn't get clean water and they couldn't get food, and they died because of the re results of war. Do you understand? So when it says here, uh, death comes upon the earth, uh, it's often the results of war. The fifth seal, when it's broken, martyrs are slain because of their faith in Jesus and his word. And this seal uh, actually actually looks like it's going to be open during the middle of that seven-year period I talked about. And that's when this man called Antichrist. Now, let me talk about this a minute. Everybody with me? I don't want to confuse anybody. I just, whether you even know Jesus or not, I want you to hear me. I know what's going to be happening. God's word has never failed. These things are going to happen. So it looks like some kind of a treaty according to Daniel 9, 27, is going to be in, put in force by this person who wants to rule the whole world uh, with Israel and other nations. And I, I don't know when that's going to happen. I, I don't know if it's happened yet. I don't know if we're going to know when it happens yet. But something really strange happened last October. Uh, it happened uh, in Israel. It also happened at the base of Mount Sinai. And there was, a, there was a climate covenant entered into by all the major world religions and a number of representative of the nations of the world. Have y'all heard about that? Well, I talked about it months and months and months ago. I don't know if that's it or not. That could be. I don't know. I just know we're really close. That when, when a covenant is made between this person who wants to oversee everything and other nations, perhaps including Israel, and they were there in October, that signifies the beginning of seven years. Into that seven years, Jesus comes back in the second coming. You hear me? That's why I'm talking about all that because we're, y'all, if we're not in it, we're extremely close. Three and a half years into that seven-year period, the Antichrist, he's made a covenant of peace with Israel, said, well, you can build, rebuild your temple somehow because there's going to be a rebuilt Jewish temple. But he desecrates the temple, and I don't have time to talk about it today. Uh, he desecrates the temple and then begins to persecute Jews and Christians. Now, the persecution of Jews and Christians and martyrdom, I thought about that a good bit. Why, why would that happen? Why would Jews and Christians be isolated as the ones that are persecuted the most? Well, it's because both Jews and Christians, the base of their belief system with regards to human behavior is the Ten Commandments. And so whoever controls this whole conglomerate system, they don't like the Ten Commandments because any kind of morality will go. 
homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, pedophilia, you name it, it doesn't matter. They think it's all just wonderful. Do you hear me? So the reason that the reason for the persecution, I have a feeling of Jews and Christians is because we'll say, I'm not, no, 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 I don't believe that. I'm not going to sign any document saying that. And so, you know, you just get persecuted because of it. Anyway, fifth seal, martyrs slain because of their faith. And uh, the sixth seal, now this is a strange one. And I'm about, everybody okay? I just want you to see what's coming. This is coming because Jesus is going to break these seals. And all that I just said, go read Revelation 6. You'll see what's happening. Matthew 24 is a parallel chapter to Revelation 6. Jesus, his disciples ask him what it's going to be like before, the, before you come back. What will the world be like? And Jesus paralleled exactly what happens in Revelation 6 in Matthew 24. Uh, you got three things that happen. You got birth pain. Jesus said just like a woman has birth pains, Braxton hitch contractions. You know, women know what I'm talking about. And and then you got the pains of birth showing that uh, the, the more, the, the closer the birth, those uh, tr- uh, contractions come, the closer it is to the baby being expelled from your, from your womb. Jesus said the first few of these, the first few of these seals, they fit hand in glove with Matthew 24 and their birth pains. He's not coming yet, but he's getting really close. It's ripening really quick, right? And then, and then um, the Antichrist uh, uh, has a treaty with Israel that he breaks, and then all hell breaks loose with Christians and Jews. And Jesus called that the Great Tribulation. Everybody say Great Tribulation. There is not one scripture in the Bible that calls that seven-year period. I know you won't believe what I'm about to say is true. There's not one scripture in the Bible that calls that seven-year period Tribulation. Jesus called after the three and a half years great tribulation. Before that, it's birth pains. And then, and then right at the end of the great tribulation, Jesus said, except these days are shortened, Matthew 24, 21, no person could be saved. But because of the elect, the saved's sake, these, these, these days are shortened. And they're shortened by the sixth seal that Jesus breaks. When the sixth seal breaks, a gargantuan earthquake happens and people uh, get the bejeebie scared out of them and people look for somewhere to hide because the whole world's in utter, absolute, ridiculous, crazy chaos. Uh, I'm talking about rulers as well as peasants. It doesn't matter what, uh, air, what, where you live, you're going to be affected by this if you're living on the planet. And then Jesus said in Matthew 24, and it says it in Revelation 6, start with verse 12 with the sixth seal, uh, the sun darkens. The moon darkens. The stars won't give their light. The Old Testament prophets mentioned it exactly the same way. Jesus mentioned it, Matthew 24, beginning with verse uh, 29. The sun's darkened. The moon's darkened. The stars don't give their light. The powers of heaven are shaken. What is that a sign? That's a sign the rapture's about to occur. Woo-hoo-hoo. You're going up, my friends. And then that last seal's got to be broken on that scroll. That last seal is not broken until Revelation chapter 8. And when Revelation chapter 8 happens, trumpet, trumpets blow. And when that first trumpet blows, meteorites hit the earth. They pollute the water, the fresh water, the salt water, and uh, uh, vegetation turns brown. It's just a, a heck of a time. The good news is we won't be here then. We're not... We're not going to incur God's wrath. Jesus took God's wrath for us. Is that good news? The good news, and now here's what's coming. Everybody's looking at them. Is that really happening, Pastor? That's really going to happen. See, I hear you. I hear you saying nothing like, is that really going to happen, Pastor? 
So what's going to happen to my children? Are they going to go up in the rapture of the church? And they're going to go with you? Huh? I'm just trying to get you ready for what's coming because what's coming is going to be crazy. Did you hear what I said? But the rapture of the church is going to catch you away. Here's, can, can I talk about, and this, I put this in my notes and I put some hyperlinks in my notes. Two, two books that I read um, here several years ago, one's called Wormwood, The Wormwood by Thomas Horn. The other one's by the same author, Thomas Horn, uh, The Messenger, and I got hyperlinks. A hyperlink, you click it, and it'll show you, and you can go right to the book. But, uh, so I read that in 2019, this man uh, has had dreams all of his life, and they always come to pass, and you know, he was actually, y'all know Sid Roth? He was on Sid Roth's program a number of years ago, uh, 11 minutes long, I, time, I looked at it, 11 minutes. And he talked about what happened to him. He had a vision and he saw, or no, it was a, really a very vivid dream. And he saw meteorites hit the earth off the coast of California. It's in the book. Off the coast of California, just decimated the earth. And the plume of smoke just ravaged the earth, uh, darkened the sun, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he saw it and he got a name at the very end of it. And the name of the meteorite was Apophis, uncannily. Uh, he did some research with some NASA scientists that he knows and some Google scientists, some of the top mathematicians in the world, and he found out that in 2004, NASA found a rock a long way from here. But if you look at the mass, the size of the rock, the trajectory of the rock, and the speed of the meteorite, uh, all of them indicated, yep, it looks like it's going to hit the earth they postulate April 13th, 2029. Have y'all ever heard that? Well, uh, he talks about it quite a bit, and he swears that's going to happen. Now, I don't know if it is or not. I've read his book. I've listened to him several times, and uh, he says that's what I saw, and then he gives you the reasons he thinks it's going to come to pass because the Lord has used him and, and given him things in the past, and they have come to pass exactly and he said this is coming to pass exactly what what i think is really odd is that uh the word apophis is the same word that the uh nasa people gave to this rock apophis he kind of blew him away when he found out that they had and they've been hiding it from the public because they don't want people to know but now people are beginning to find out about this rock this meteorite headed towards the earth and the trajectory uh, mass times speed uh, plus trajectory equals uh, impact. So anyway, go read. It's really interesting. The only reason I even wanted to mention that was that could be an uncanny fulfillment of Revelation 8, the first few verses where the meteorites begin to hit. If that's the case, how many know you don't have a long time? Did you get that? You don't have a long time. So I said all that to say... Um, uh, Get close to the Lord. Be ready. And don't focus on just today. Focus your life on Jesus. Get in the Word. Be a person that prays. And now is the time for us to evangelize our neighbor. What's really weird to me, can I just say some few things? What's really uncanny to me in America, we don't think about anything about the future. Everything's about the now, pleasing me, doing what I want to do, doing the way I want to do it. You need to be preparing and planning. Because what Jesus said will happen will come to pass. And most people are like sheep. They follow one person, whether that person's right or wrong. Don't forget, don't be a Numbers 13 person. 
You know what a Numbers 13 person is? It's a person that follows the crowd instead of following God. And if it's not being talked about, it must not be real. And if the news broadcasts aren't saying anything about it, then it must not be real. And if, if the majority of people on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook ain't saying nothing about it, must be all right. Well, you just crazy. If I can break down in my South Carolina lingo. Did you hear me? Don't follow the crowd. Numbers 13, 10, 12 spies were sent into the land of Canaan, God's promised land. Two came back and said, you know what? We can whoop them giants. There's some big old people over there, but our God's bigger than those giants, and he'll give us an ability to whip them. And, uh, and the rest, all the 10 others said, they bigger than us, boy. They will make us, they'll squash us like an ant. I ain't going back. And they got the people so afraid that every, not one Israelite that disobeyed God, not any of those 10 went into the land of Canaan. Not one. Only Caleb and Joshua, the two that said we can, went in. You hear me? Now, why did I say that? Because today, the biggest mouth gets the following. And just because a person has a big mouth and, and lots of likes by their stuff online doesn't mean they're right. Yes or no? So young people, if you live in that way, you need to cut the stupid stuff off because you're going to get in trouble. You just need to cut it off. And let me go further and say this Antichrist system, they, they got artificial intelligence tools to keep your mind on certain things. In America, we're obsessed with sex. We're obsessed with money. We're obsessed with fun. Did you hear me? Now, you know what? Artificial intelligence does a lot of that. Well, just tweak this, tweak this, tweak this. Did you hear me? So we're set up to be deceived, deluded, and, and, and not ready when Jesus comes back. The church in America is not ready for Jesus to come back. But he said he's coming back for a for, for people without spot and wrinkle. Well, a lot of us got a lot of spots and wrinkles. So he's got a lot of work to do. Is that true? Now, I'm just saying all that to get you stirred up. Now it's time to pray. Now it's time to seek the Lord. If you're ever going to make Jesus Lord, now it's time to do it. Don't wait till weird starts happening. Say, what's going on? <laughs> Start, prepare now. Be smart. Be as smart as an ant. Summertime, the ant gets ready for the wintertime. Summertime, the squirrel gets ready for the wintertime, Right? Be as smart as an animal. Get ready for the hard time. So my encouragement to you, we've got some strange things coming. I don't know when they're going to happen. You know, we could have years more, but it could be a very short time. Everything seems to be lining up in a really uncanny way right now. So my encouragement to you, when war breaks out, it creates all kinds of deficits. You need a way to have some drinkable water for your family. Are you going to go to the spigot one day if it's not there? Are you going to go to the river? I wouldn't even drink the water in the news river. That old nasty, muddy stuff. So have a way to get drinkable water. Have, have some food supply. Just have some things ready for, you know, a crazy time of change. Did you hear me? And then have some form of uh, exchange, money that, that you don't have to go get out of an ATM, right? That's just smart. Be wise. Be as smart as an ant. Be ready. Jesus said, for as time as you think not, the Son of Man will come. So, you know, that's just all free today. I didn't plan on saying any of that. Now, I've got a lot of notes. Right when I got through with that, there's additional information here. I got all kinds of notes. 
uh, that was page 8, and it goes to page 21. That's a lot. All right? And there's charts and all that. If you're interested to see what's going to happen, I explain. If I, uh, let me say this. It feels like the church is going to go through. Now, this is not going to please a lot of people. I'm not here to please you. It looks like the church is going to go through the first few of those seven years and that we will actually be here when this world government thing begins to emerge. So you just need to be prayed up, prepared, and ready. And then before the day of the Lord, which is uh, the time when nature goes chaotic and the meteorites and all that hit, uh, we're not going to be here for that. He's going to snatch us out of here for that. Is that good news? See, that's really good news, but just be prepared and be ready. A lot of people believe that the church is going to leave here before any of this happens. I can't find it in Scripture. I preached it for 25 years, but I had to cease when God began. To, I really had, a, had an experience with God in 2010, and God spoke to me and showed me that what I'd been preaching was not correct, and it challenged me. I wept my eyeballs out. And said, I got to eat crow, God. I mean, all this stuff I've preached all these years, and you telling me for the first period of this time we're going to be here? Uh-huh. I said, I, I mean, I got to preach that? Uh-huh. Well, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't care. Do it anyway. And so here we are, 2023. And it looks like we are those upon whom the ends of the world have come. So what you going to do with it? What you going to do? What you going to do? Are you going to keep living the way you live? Huh? Living in the flesh? Living for pleasure? Living so everybody will pat you on the back? Afraid for somebody to say anything negative about you? Let's get over it now. Right? Now it's time to pray. You ought to have your prayer life all stirred up. It's time to get in this book right here. You ought to have a method. I can help you if you don't have one. You ought to have a method to read through this really crazy crazy book that's hard to understand for a 21st century person unless you know the background of the book. I can help you with all of that. Listen, I've read through this book so many times and it's going to come to pass just like Jesus said it's going to come to pass. That's the reason as a pastor, I just want to give you a warning. Get ready, get prepared. Don't be afraid, get ready and prepare. The same Jesus that took care of the disciples by telling them where to go to find a fish to eat, by, by multiplying food, by taking care of them in every possible way is the same Jesus going to take care of you during this time. Yes or no?